KYW News Radio Original Podcasts. This is KYW News Radio In Depth. I'm Carol McKenzie. The great COVID vaccine mandate debate. Public health officials have been telling us that these vaccines are the key to stopping this pandemic and getting back to a more normal life. But too many people are still refusing to get one. And so healthcare systems and businesses across the country are starting to implement vaccine mandates for employees. And that has triggered lawsuits from people who think this is a violation of their constitutional rights. Is it? And what about exemptions for religious or medical reasons? Who has a legitimate reason for refusing to get a vaccine? And just how far is an employer allowed to go in order to figure out if an employee is being truthful? How is all of this going to work? Here to answer those questions and many others is Scott Burris. He's a professor of law at Temple Law School and the director of the Center for Public Health Law Research. Thank you, Professor, for joining us. We really appreciate it. Um, So I want to start with a brief history of vaccine mandates, um, which goes back to the very first vaccine, smallpox, back in the 1800s. Can you give us a little bit of an idea of just how vaccine mandates came about? Well, vaccine used to be mandated as an emergency response when there was a a disease raging. And the only disease that we really had a vaccine for or inoculation for going back a couple hundred years in one form or another was smallpox. So when a smallpox outbreak happened, that was one of the things that you could do. Um, In the second half, well, really towards the end of the 19th century, you started to have this written into the law. It might come in as a, a, a school vaccination requirement or some other form of of, of law authorizing it. But even at the turn of the century, it was still the idea that you would vaccinate people generally before there was an outbreak wasn't really common. Um, vaccine was part of the emergency response. I think also what I found interesting is this went all the way to the Supreme Court, and I was just reading some of the arguments that people made, and they <laughs> sound exactly like the arguments that people who are against the COVID-19 vaccine are making today. Right. It, it, it's kind of deja vu, although um, one of the interesting differences is that the Supreme Court case happened just at the time that we were starting to have a modern industrial pharmaceutical business. And in those days, they hadn't quite figured out safety and quality control. And one of the things, um, and one of the, one of the ways they made vaccine was to basically brew it inside horses. Um, and then they would harvest it and, you know, take out the antibodies and make the vaccine. Um, but that meant that, that there was a pretty high risk of contamination. Um, and uh, in Camden, our own Camden, um, there was a very serious outbreak of tetanus that was attributable to the smallpox vaccine of those days made over in the Philadelphia area uh, because it was getting tainted in the production process. And there are also, you know, in the, at the same time, outbreaks of, of disease that happened because the vaccine was, you know, essentially got spoiled or got contaminated by uh, during use. So vaccination was effective in those days, as it had been before. But on, on the mass scale that we were doing it, there was some um, there were instances that, that made it riskier than we did, than it would be today. So fast forward. I mean, obviously, we have come a long way 
you know, in this whole process in, in safety and all of that. So as we head into this area of, you know, vaccine mandates and there are still people who don't want to get them legally, I guess, do they have an, any argument? Do they have anything they can stand on if they're going to try to fight this legally? Well, the law basically gives you one ground um, that you can use when you're going to fight the vaccine requirement. And that would be to argue that the vaccine is not safe or effective. Um, you know, the vaccination doesn't work, that the vaccine is dangerous, you know, that there's something wrong with the vaccine and therefore it's not going to do any good to give it to you or it may harm you. People can't win. Uh, they couldn't win in 1905 and they can't win today um, on the argument that the vaccine is ineffective. And they certainly can't win on the ground that it's generally unsafe. So the only ground that's left to oppose vaccine, you know, as leaving aside religions, is that somehow you have a particular condition that would make it dangerous for you. So that's what we call a medical exemption. Um, That's not going to overturn a vaccine mandate, but it may get you out of being vaccinated. I want to talk about the the medical exemptions and the religious exemptions. But first, you know, even though we've been talking about these mandates for some time, there still seems to be a little confusion out there as to whether or not employers can, in fact, mandate vaccines. Can they? Well, the general rule, for better or for worse, is that employers can do almost anything that is reasonably necessary and maybe even not very reasonably necessary in the course of their business. Our law generally says employers rule the roost, then there are exceptions. So there are exceptions like you can't fire people because of their race or their gender or their age. You have to treat people fairly and equally on those criteria. But you can say everybody has to wear a uniform or everybody has to show up at 9 a.m. and stay till 5 p.m. Or everybody has to be vaccinated. Those are the kinds of rules that we've typically in our law allowed employers to make. So basically, you know, we come to now the exemptions. There are, from what I understand, two two ways. Either you claim a medical exemption or you claim a religious exemption. So let's start um, with the the medical exemptions. You know, I'm thinking like, writing policy is one thing. Implementing it is quite another. And so this is where we kind of get into these um the, the the difficulties, I guess, of of implementing a vaccine mandate. Um so they're allowed to, but then we have to all navigate this. So let's start out with the medical exemption. What does that mean? What are you allowed to claim um, as a medical exemption? Well, you make a good point. It's all in the implementation. So what I suppose we would think we mean is that if there is something seriously bad that you're at risk of because of your personal condition, um, then you shouldn't have to get the vaccine. But that would mean that you've got to produce some kind of doctor's note or evidence that sets out something that's recognized as a risk. For example, you might be allergic to some of the the stuff that's in the vaccine. There are various kinds of additives and and, and things that a few people um, are allergic to. We know that. Um, Or you may say you fall into a, a class where in early evidence we've seen some adverse reactions and maybe that's good enough. Um, but there's got to be something personal about you that has some serious medical validity behind it. Um, and if you do that, then you're going to have very few medical exemptions. If what you mean is give me a doctor's note, 
then this is only limited by your ability to find a doctor who's willing to support you in not getting vaccinated. Um, so one of the big implementation questions for any firm or city or anybody else trying to put this into effect is, well, how seriously are we going to take the idea of a medical exemption and how much evidence will we demand? Um, and that's going to range from checking a box on the Internet, which is really allowing anybody to claim it for whatever reason they want, to actually requiring not only some kind of medical statement from a doctor or, or, or you know, care provider, but also that that statement have some support in the, in, in the medical evidence. So there's a, a very, very wide range then as to how people can claim this, because I'm thinking, too, when employers are if they want a letter from your doctor. I mean, that now goes into privacy issues uh, over your medical condition. I mean, can you, can an employee say, wait a minute, it's none of your business? Yes, to a limited degree. I mean, there are, what, what, we're, what we're talking about now is that the person is going to have to provide enough information um, for the employer to, to gauge what's going on. If this, if this information is provided if the employer wants more information, the employer is going to have an obligation to treat that confidentially. Um, you know, we have all sorts of, 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 of basically under disability law, all sorts of situations which employers are going to find out some details of somebody's medical condition in order to figure out whether they um, are eligible for some kind of protection or accommodation as a person with disability. They can't spread that around. They have to respect the privacy of that. But on the other hand, you can't have an employee who comes in and says, well, I have a certain disability. I can't tell you what it is, but it means I don't work on Tuesdays and you can't make me lift anything. And besides that, I don't have to take the COVID vaccine. You know, they're going to have to give enough information for the employer to make a judgment as to whether this person can do the job safely, whether they need this, this exemption or not. So let's move to then the religious exemptions, because I, I imagine um, that people who are inclined to try to claim an exemption might lean that way, particularly if they don't have a legitimate uh, medical reason for not getting it. So but that is a very broad definition, isn't it? A, a religious exemption? Well, yes, it's 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 again one of those concepts that could be as as wide open as a semi truck, you know, and as small as a you know two seater convertible um, to drive through. It's very difficult and and probably not really pleasant for any employer or school or anybody else to to inquire and dig into somebody's personal religious beliefs. On the other hand. Um, it is a real a real loophole that people can exploit. A bunch of religions, and well, certainly the Catholic Church, for example, in Philadelphia, has made clear that, generally speaking, there is no Catholic faith basis for objecting to vaccines. They're not going to support people who claim that the Catholic faith requires them to avoid vaccination. You'd find it hard in the Bible to find any text where anybody's talking about vaccination or in any other of the religious books of the past. So it's not clear exactly, you know, apart from a very few religions like Christian science um, or maybe um, Jehovah's Witnesses who have known objections to certain kinds of medical care, it's hard to find a religion where that's going to be an obvious part of the doctrine. Um, so at that point, you know, you can probably, what, what we can imagine is that, that employers are either going to, well, I think generally across the board, they're going to try and make it onerous enough 
and I think in a reasonable way, onerous enough for people to claim these exemptions that they won't do it unless they really mean it. So you don't have to wear two masks and get tested every week and you may be barred from certain kinds of you know, positions in the job, maybe not. I mean, there are there are certain things where you might get fired because you have to be vaccinated for that for that position. The employer could argue. So um, at that point, you know, yes, the person can claim can kind of make up religious exemption, but it might be um, quite difficult for them um, to, you know, to, to sustain that in the face of the kind of additional restrictions that are going to be placed on them. Can you get fired for refusing to get one? Well, in, broadly speaking, yes. If, for example, the employer is not satisfied by your medical showing or does not, you know, you have not been able to articulate exactly what religion you belong to. You belong to the Church of Spaghetti. Um, and, and, and the employer can say, well, that's fine. That's not good enough. You know, you don't have a reason. You don't qualify for our, you know, exemption process. So you're fired. There are certain jobs, and this should happen in healthcare, where they just think like, you can't do this job unless you're vaccinated. There's no accommodation for you. There's no other thing you can do. Um, it's vaccination or the road. So employers have pretty wide discretion is what you're saying. Yes. Yes. That is the advantage of going through the employment mechanism from a legal point of view. You know, we could have, you know, in, in the case, in that old case of Jacobson smallpox in 1905, it was the Board of Health of Cambridge that was ordering vaccination. Um, nowadays, the Board of Health of Cambridge might be too worried about getting sued and, you know, the, the, the opposition to government mandates and so on. But employers seem to get a lot more slack. I mean, why is that? Why can't the government just mandate? I mean, they can, I guess. But what, what's the difference? What's the difference between political. government it's, doing it, it? OK, it's political. Um, well, I mean, I wouldn't say it's, it's partly political um, in the sense that we've seen both a general effort to trash government in American life, even though I'm here to tell you, like countries that don't have strong, effective governments don't do well. But also the idea that, that there's, this is an attack on freedom and therefore a big brother making you do it is bad. I mean, there's, these ideas don't fully make sense when you parse them out, but, but that's the feeling. And that leads to political third railness around this. But the second thing is actually uh, an implementation issue. We, we have trimmed government to a considerable extent. We have not invested in public health infrastructure. So in some countries, vaccination there's a national vaccination registry and, and, and it's possible to determine who's been vaccinated and who hasn't. And you can follow up. There's a network, you know, there's a public health system where you can follow up. Here, I don't think the Board of Health of Cambridge could actually get people vaccinated. You know, in the days of Jacobson and smallpox, they sent employees around from house to house with police accompanying them and they did the vaccination. That wouldn't happen today. It couldn't happen today. Um, and Cambridge wouldn't know how to manage it, even if they wanted to do it. Um, you know, as recently as 50 years ago, we had the last big mass smallpox outbreak was in New York in the 50s. And uh, New York managed to vaccinate almost its entire population in a matter of weeks. But it was an all out government effort. Mm. Well, that ain't happening today. Whereas employers, they keep good records. <laughs> they have computer systems where they, they have personnel records. They can tell who's been vaccinated or not. So they are actually capable of implementing this. You mentioned uh, a few moments ago accommodations. So let's say you do have a valid medical or religious exemption. 
Now what? Um, particularly if the employer doesn't want you in the building or anything like that, they want don't want you traveling, you know, with your fellow employees. So how far does the employer need to go to provide, um, you know, accommodations for people who can't or won't get vaccinated? Well, it depends upon whether it's a religious or medical reason. So for a religious exemption, they really don't, aren't legally required to give any accommodation. However, there are laws that protect people against discrimination based on a disability. So if the reason that you can't get the vaccination or why it's risky for you is related to a, a disability that you have, then the employer is required to make a reasonable accommodation. Um, and that means letting you do your job in a way or under circumstances or maybe putting you in a job where you can safely work, both safety for yourself and for others, in spite of not being vaccinated. Maybe they let you work at home. Um, or maybe they say, well, you know, if you wear a mask and you get tested twice a week, that's safe. The question will be about safety, because the argument for vaccination is that you could, inf without vaccination, you're more likely to infect others. Um, and so the, the, the question will be, can you do this job under circumstances that will be reasonably protective um, or safe for others and for yourself? And businesses can, uh, there's the argument, right, of that this uh, presents an undue burden for the employer. They're, they're, I mean, the employer does have kind of legal standing here, right, to say we can't do this for you. Right. So yeah, accommodation that imposes an undue burden is, is not reasonable and won't be required. Um, you know, if, for example, you're a pilot for United and your accommodation is you're going to work from home virtually, well, you can't fly a plane virtually from home. You know, that's just not going to work. Um, so the, the, the employer is not, is not going to have to do that. Can um, people who don't want to get vaccinated trying to claim an exemption or not, can they make the argument? Let's say you, you have a business where, where clients come in. I mean, can they say, well, wait a minute, you know, you're requiring all of us to be vaccinated, but how are you going to make sure that the clients who are walking through the door and spending time here are vaccinated as well. Do they have any standing when it when it comes to something like that? Well, I don't think so. No, I mean, I think that's essentially an argument that somehow vaccination won't be effective. But of course, the employers may, is primarily concerned with its workforce, and vaccination will be even more effective, even more useful if you have customers or others coming in who aren't vaccinated. So, so I think that 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 argument doesn't fly. Yeah. The other thing I read, one. this was interesting. What if, and can an employer say, if you're trying to argue either medical or religious, can they ask you, have you gotten any other vaccines? Well, sure. I mean, that's, that's, that's a great one. Um, if, if the employer is actually serious and wants to engage in the process of verifying people's religious exceptions. So I suppose... If I'm an employer and I'm determined to have people exempt, you know, get vaccinated and I have, you know, maybe three, four percent who say I have a religious objection about, and I have a way to make them mask or test them. I might just leave it at that. On the other hand, if I start having 15, 20 percent or more of people saying, oh, I'm religiously exempt, then you might have to turn up the pressure on them, um, you know, just as a practical matter and say, OK, tell me what what religion <laughs> makes this and, you know. I assume then that you can demonstrate that you never had, you know, any other vaccination. Um, and, and, you know, you, the employer actually is empowered to decide 
that that uh, if she, that that religious objection is frivolous or made up. They don't have to take um, the employee's word for it. It, it. This, I think, is this scenario playing out in business in the broader society. It, it almost becomes an us versus them. And when you have a segment of your you know employee base who are ready and willing and want to be vaccinated, and then you might have a section who doesn't. It really does set up this friction, particularly if the unvaccinated people are still coming in into the building. And, you know, at what point, like you just mentioned, uh, you know, you talk about the safety of the broader workforce, um, but it, it sets up that conflict there. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think this is one of the tragedies as well as one of the big practical problems that we face. And it's very hard I have to say, I mean, if you're a person who decides that science is real, airplanes fly, you know, astronauts go to the moon, you know, vaccines are made with RNA in an amazing way, then you can't understand why somebody would turn down an FDA-approved vaccine but use a horse dewormer. Um, It is really hard to understand. But, you know, in the end, I have to say, you know, I think if I'm advising employers, I'm saying set clear rules enforce them fairly, and treat everyone with respect. You know, you're still going to make people mad, but if you don't make fun of them as they go out the door, maybe they'll rethink. Maybe they'll (laughs) give it some consideration. And in any event, I mean, we don't want those, you know, we don't want any of our employees to get sick. And we want them to be as healthy as they can be. If they won't take the vaccination, try and find other ways for them to be healthy and be protected and to protect customers. I mean, it's got to be a positive message because there's just no, you know, making the fight worse and the anger worse doesn't help anybody. Are you surprised? I mean, you know, it, it, like you said, it's deja vu uh, all over again <laughs> um, with the argument over vaccines. Are you surprised that that is what's going on right now, that there's such kind of vehement opposition in a segment of the population to these vaccines during a pandemic? I'm not surprised that there's disputes about what to do and what causes a pandemic, because that's pretty much a routine part of all our great pandemics. They had these fights over masks in 1918. They had these fights over vaccines in, you know, 1900. In 1780, you know, 1781, when we had yellow fever in Philadelphia, people were fighting over whether it was caused by stinking, um, stinking, uh, rotting coffee or, um, uh, you know, some kind of little spreading microbe. Um, so, you know, there's always been these fights. What surprises me now and what saddens me and worries me is the extent to which political leaders who get vaccinated, uh, who have access to the very finest medical care if they become sick, um, are actually pandering uh, and, and, and fanning this, you know, this anti-vax That's that's kind of unusual. We've never had basically a whole political party adopt an anti-science, anti-vaccine posture. Um, and, you know, it's killing people. Plain and simple. Plain and simple. Yeah. That's what history would say. <laughs> well, it's going to be interesting, right? When maybe 50, 100 years, uh, people look back on this time and what was happening and what they take from it. The lessons, I guess. Yeah. And I, I'm... I'm... <laughs> It's one of those things that makes you hope we're still here with all these storms and apocalypses. You know, I hope we're all still here 50 years from now hearing the history. But um, it, we, more of us would be here if we could unite around vaccination as 
the best strategy for getting us out of COVID. Professor Burris, thank you so much for joining us for KYW In-Depth. Really appreciate your time and your insight. My pleasure. (laughs) Thank you. That's it for this episode of KYW News Radio In Depth. You can listen to the podcast free anytime on the Odyssey app, and you can find it wherever you listen to your favorite shows. I'm Carol McKenzie, and we'll have another episode out soon.